Psalm 46. So we continue our survey of the Psalms this morning. Someone asked, what, what's the organizing principle for these Psalms? And I said, each preacher picked his favorite. So that's what they are. So here's another one of my favorite Psalms. So I was sitting in my office, not my current office, but way back in the day in the old office under the old sanctuary, and I was talking to Heather Keith, who at the time was Heather Stroll. And I heard a knock at the door, and the youth pastor stuck his head in. Not Pete DeAngelis, but back then it was Rich Chamberlain. And he usually didn't interrupt meetings, and and so I said, what's up? And he said, did you hear that a plane just flew into the World Trade Center? That's where I was. Do you remember where you were? I not only remember where I was on 9-11, but the other thing that is very vivid in my memory was, I don't know how to describe it, but just a general sense of reality coming apart for the next about week. It, It just felt like Things weren't normal. Things weren't safe. The, the things I had taken for granted about the world and, and what I could rely upon and things I assumed were just as is were not that way anymore. It, it had that feeling of the, kind of the world coming apart. I wasn't alive when President Kennedy was assassinated, and I definitely wasn't alive when Pearl Harbor was attacked. But for those I've talked to who were, they tell me it was a similar kind of feeling. It, it felt like everything had changed. The innocence was lost. Uh, everything had been um, uh, transformed in a bad way under our feet. And it was a scary kind of world coming apart sort of feeling. The reality is that we don't even need big tragedy like that and huge catastrophes that are kind of national and international in scale to, to feel like the world's coming apart. All it really takes is, is bad news from a doctor. All it takes is a dreaded phone call in the middle of the night. All it takes is being called into HR, being given a slip, and the next thing you know, doing the walk of shame with your box of possessions down the hallway past the cubicles. Maybe it's, if you're a kid, maybe it's your parents sitting down to tell you that mom or dad has taken a new job and you have to go to a new school and make all new friends. Perhaps it's dinner with a fiancé that you thought was going to be really nice and instead it's a ring being handed back. It doesn't take much and, and it feels like the whole world is coming apart. But as Christians, as followers of Christ... We have, as we've been singing about this morning, we have a refuge that is completely unperturbed by these things. We have a fortress that can withstand any earthquake. We have an island refuge that that can take any tempest, any hurricane that can be thrown at it. We have a castle whose walls cannot be breached by any enemy. Because, brothers and sisters, God is our refuge. God is our refuge. And that's what Psalm 46 is all about. Let's read it. Let me read it for you. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, 
the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 46, you may have noticed, uh, falls into three little sections. I I didn't read that little word there, but you notice at the end of verse 3 and the end of verse 4 and the end of verse 7, there's that little word salah, and Hebrew scholars still aren't 100% sure what that word means. Uh, The best guess is that it's some kind of musical notation, because remember, all the psalms were originally sung. They they were written for music to be sung as as part of the corporate worship of Israel. So this is actually Israel's hymnal that we're studying. And so perhaps salah was some kind of musical term. But uh, in this case, the salahs are helpful because they, they actually break up the psalm into three movements, and each one is kind of thematically related. And so let's look at each of these three units And the first one, the first Salah, verses uh, 1 to 3, that first segment, really puts the thesis out in front of us. So verse 1 is the main point of the psalm. If you want to know what Psalm 46 is all about, verse 1 says it succinctly. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. It was this psalm that made Martin Luther write that great hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, that we sang earlier. This is the psalm that he was encouraged by as he was going through his own world's coming apart many experiences. So let's just slow down a little bit and look at verse 1, since I think verse 1 is the thesis statement for the psalm. It's the main point. So let's just break it down a little bit. It says, God is our refuge and strength. He's a refuge and a strength. God is our external protection from things that come at us, and He's also our internal strength when we're feeling weak and and threatened. He's he's both guarding us from things, and maybe you've had that experience in life where you've had a near miss, or you say, oh, that could have happened. It didn't happen while God really protected me. That didn't happen to me. God must have really took care of that. But He's also our strength, because sometimes God does allow things to happen to us. Things do happen that are bad, but we find that even when God in His sovereignty allows things to happen, He's our strength to get us through those things. It's like what Godwin preached last Sunday. Sometimes we do go through the valley of the shadow of death, but He's with us in the midst of it. God's our refuge and strength, and it's 24-7. He's an ever-present help in trouble. God doesn't go on vacation. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't get distracted. He's not indisposed. You know, I, I don't know any kids here. You, you kids ever like want to get your parents' attention? And you say like, mom, dad, mom, dad. And maybe they're looking at their phone, you know, really important. You know, Instagram is really important. And they're on their phone. And you know what mom and dad say to you, right? They say, wait one minute. You guys know that? Just one minute. And you know that mom and dad time is different from like, real scientific time. So like one minute actually means like five minutes, right? 
God never says, wait a minute. You guys can come to God, you kids, if you're in the middle of school and you're frustrated or sad, you're going you're gonna to go back to school this week. You know, if you're going to be sad at times. You're going to be scared. Your parents are going to have a different feeling, but you're going to be sad. And you can talk to God in the middle of homeroom. You can talk to God in the middle of gym. You can talk to God at 3 a.m. You're not going to get a voicemail. He's our ever-present help in trouble. And just one more thing to point out in verse 1. Notice the plural pronoun, not singular pronoun. God is our help. Or verse 2, therefore, we will not fear. Psalm 46 is first and foremost a corporate confession of trust in God. It's us together as the people of faith, together coming together and saying as one, we're all of the people who are putting our faith in God. The thing that marks us off, the reason that all these people are together in this room who are from different backgrounds and and different ages and they're single and married and we have different ethnicities here, we have different, you know, socioeconomic status and we have, you know, Red Sox fans, well, I don't have anything else, but we have all these different people. We're all together. What is it that brings these people together? We're people who are saying as one, we put our hope in God together. And so Psalm 46 is not primarily a personal comfort, although it is, but first and foremost, it's a corporate confession. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Verse 2, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging salah. In other words, we don't fear even when the world falls apart. We're not afraid when God is our refuge. My kids have a book at home. Have you guys ever seen this book? It's kind of cool. It's called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. It's a yellow book. Actually, we have the, the Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook uh, Complete Edition. So it has like all the, the scenario books in there. But it's great. It has little chapters. And they're just about worst case scenarios. So there's a chapter on like how to survive a bear attack. There's a chapter on how to perform a tracheotomy. Um, there's, a, there's, there's a little, which I'm glad my kids are reading. Um, <laughs> there's a chapter on how to jump from a building into a dumpster and survive. There's like what to do if the brakes don't work on your car. So it's really great, you know, all these terrible things you see in the action movies, and it tells you how to survive all of those things. I'd like to suggest that verses 2 and 3 are the worst-case scenario. When the world falls apart in a very literal kind of way. Though the earth give way. I mean, what, what's worse than the earth giving way? I mean, you don't have anything left. The mountains falling into the sea, sort of like the waters coming and covering the earth again. Verses 2 and 3 describes creation being uncreated. Think about in Genesis chapter 1, the story of how the creation happens and there's light and dark and then the, the seas part and then dry land forms and all that. Imagine if you watch that as like a movie, but then you hit rewind and you watch the movie backwards. That's what verses 2 and 3 are. It's creation being uncreated. It's the flood of Noah. It's chaos and destruction when the world is literally falling apart. And when the world is falling apart, There's nothing in the world that can save you. There's only one refuge. You know, how do you survive that worst case scenario? 
Verse 1 is the answer. God is our refuge. When the world is falling apart, the only safe place to be is with the one who created the world and who stands above and outside and over the world. And therefore, we, 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 don't, we don't fear. I mean, you know, we, we, we have fears. It, it's natural that there's a kind of basic biological element to fear you can't help. But deep down, we have a peace underneath that as Christians when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus like we just sang. And, and there's a confidence and a fearlessness that comes because we know no matter what, God is my refuge and strength. God will protect me and he'll bear me through whatever it is that gets sent my way. And even as we know that, we know that our tendency is to put our hope and our refuge in other things, things of this world that can be swept away. I mean, you know, the list is as long as as my arm. All the different things we put our confidence in, we put our confidence in money and our investments, and then, you know, Monday and Tuesday with the stock market happen, and we're reminded that it can all go away. We put our confidence in people, put our confidence in parents or, or boyfriends or girlfriends or lawyers or in doctors, and they're all good, but, but ultimately, that's not secure 100%. Doctors only know so much. Lawyers can only do so much. Um, everything we put our confidence in, and we try to control, you know, our success, our smarts, our, our education, and we say, this is where my security is. This is solid. This last weekend, uh, Jennifer and I, my wife, uh, we, we, were, we were out of town. Uh, we, we had a world-changing experience. We dropped our oldest daughter off at her first year at college. Yeah, yeah. And then, fi- you know, finally the moment comes where you're standing by the curb and you're all crying. And then you're like, bye. <laughs> and she turns and she walks up the stairs into her dorm and the door shuts and you get in your car and you drive back to the, you know, to the hotel and, and that's it. And now they're, they're out of your hands. You can't control them. Well, you couldn't before, but you thought you could. <laughs> At least there was an illusion of control, illusion of control. And you know, like, what, what do you do now? You say, well, you put them in God's hands. They've been in God's hands all along. I've just been a temporary steward and a father, but God is the heavenly father. You put your kids in God's hands. He's our refuge and strength that we look to. And sometimes we have to go through crises and difficulties to be reminded that nothing in this world is a final and solid refuge. How about you? Are you putting your confidence in something this morning? Where's your refuge? Where's your strength? What's it in? Just, I just want to save you a world of misery by saying put your confidence in God now. Don't put it in something else and God have to show you that that other thing is really worthless. <laughs> Spare yourself some misery. Put your trust and your hope in God alone. But that's not only for us individually and for parents sending their kids to school or whatever. It's also true as a church because remember, this is a corporate psalm. And so we as a church need to constantly be a people whose hope and whose whose courage is grounded in the Lord. Because even in churches, even in Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, gospel-preaching churches that should know that, there is a human tendency, because we're all still sinners saved by grace, there's a human tendency to go back to other things as a church. You could put your confidence, put your confidence in the pastors. 
You can put your confidence in the, the finances. Well, the finances are good. Okay, things are okay at the church. I mean, that's great. That's a blessing from God. Or we put our confidence in programs or procedures. Or, or some churches, their confidence is in their tradition. We're the historic, you know, first Baptist Episcopalian church of, you know, whatever. And, and, and we've been here 100, 200 years, and therefore, we're fine. And no, you can't put your confidence in that either. And so even we as a church need to keep reminding each other and confessing to each other that our hope is in God. We do that on Sunday mornings as we gather together and we, we sing and we hear preaching and we pray. And, and this is just like, hey, let's all remember our trust is in the Lord. And as we break up into growth groups throughout the week and, and you meet with, you know, seven, eight people maybe in a home and, and now you can really get into each other's lives like you couldn't do on a Sunday morning, but you can say, you know, I got the pink slip, or I took my kid to school, or I'm really lonely, or whatever. And you could share that with people. And, and then we, in those growth groups, we say, put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. And so we as a body have to keep reminding one another that our refuge and strength is in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian. There's a lot of Christian talk here. And, and maybe you're, you're not yet a Christian. And you, you think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm interested. I'm open. Obviously, I'm here. But I wouldn't call myself one. How do you become a Christian anyway? Like, what do you have to do? Like, like how, where's, what's the line where you go from, I wasn't a Christian, now I am a Christian? I mean, do you get baptized? Do you, do you start giving money to the church? And then you're kind of like, do you, have you bought in? Is it a financial thing? Is it a class you take? Is it a, a, a sacrament that you do? Like, how do you actually move across that line from becoming, from going from not being a Christian to a Christian? And there's a lot of ways to answer it, but if I could just answer it using the language of Psalm 46, all a Christian is is a person who has taken refuge in Jesus Christ for their salvation. That's what makes you a Christian. It's is when you say, I'm no longer going to take refuge in my own, I'm a good person, self-delusion. I'm, I'm not going to tell myself that I'm good enough or righteous enough. It's, I'm no longer going to take refuge in, well, I'm spiritual, or, or, or I went to church. I mean, there's nothing that, that you have or I have that, that is solid. We have to put our hope in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us to bear the penalty for our sins and he rose again to conquer death and conquer sin. And I'm telling you, if your hope is in anything else for your salvation and your standing with God, you have built yourself a sandcastle to defend from a tsunami. And there is a tsunami coming. There's a day when verses 2 and 3 will become not just poetic, but literal. There's the return of Christ. The judgment day is coming where this world will pass away. And, and if you're anchored in anything in this world, your own self-righteousness, your confidence, your money, your, your good, do-gooderism with charity or, or, or uh, any kind of public service, which are all good things, but if that's what your refuge is from the judgment day, you'll be swept away. You need to put your refuge in the only one who died and rose again for us, and that's Jesus Christ. Where's your confidence this morning? What's your refuge? Well, that's the first section, the first segment. Verses 1 to 3, a picture of God as a refuge and strength. We have the central thesis, and when God is a refuge and strength, there's no fear. 
no need to be afraid. But then we move to the second segment, verses 4 to 7, and now the, it's like the camera shifts. If, if you can imagine the, this whole scene being filmed and we've been outside of the fortress and we see the storms and the waves and the mountains are collapsing and there's this one untouched citadel. Now imagine the camera, maybe it's on a drone or something, it gets flown up out of the storm and now the camera takes us down inside the city and we get a glimpse of what it looks like inside the fortress there. And what we see is that inside the fortress, there's peace and there's joy. Look at verses 4 to 6 and 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. And so now we see what it's like inside that fortress. And it's, it's joyful. There's a little stream running through it, verse 4. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So the picture here seems to be of a, a city under siege. And perhaps the, the kind of the language is drawn from the language of, about Jerusalem. But what's pictured here is something even kind of bigger and more epic than Jerusalem. But, but you imagine Jerusalem under siege and the armies are around it. They're the waves crashing against it. But inside the city, the people, they're not stressed. They're actually glad. There's a little river. They're not going to run out of water. The siege isn't going to work. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Not only when, when God is our refuge, we don't have to have fear. And also when God is our refuge, we have joy. And there's gladness in our hearts. There's a peace and a happiness, even in the bad times. There's a sweetness that comes from God's presence. And that's where the joy comes from. Look at verse 4 and 5. It's the city of God, the holy place, where the Most High dwells. Verse 5, God is within her. Just like the temple was in Jerusalem, God is in the city. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Now, the nations will fall, verse 6. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. But verse 5, she will not fall because God is in her. And so what makes the city so happy and so peaceful and so joyful isn't that they have really awesome walls or it's not that they have a really great battle strategy. Uh, It's not that they have some trick up their sleeve. What makes the city safe and secure is that God is in the city. You know, what makes heaven heavenly is that God is in heaven. That's the, if God isn't there, then this city is doomed. But the reason that the people of the city are so happy is because God is in their midst. It's God himself who gives them that peace. And you know, God is still with us today. In the Old Testament, God's presence was very much uh, linked and identified with a specific temple, a specific building. But in the New Testament, the presence of God in his temple is now through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the church is called the temple of the Holy Spirit, and individual Christians are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. Just as, as, as God dwelt in Jerusalem in the Old Testament, so now in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit dwells among His people. And so even though we don't actually live in a walled city called South Shore Baptist Church Town or something like that, we as a church and as individual Christians, we have God's presence living in us. Can I just show you a super cool verse passage from the New Testament. Put a bookmark here. Turn over to the Gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 14. 
Gospel of John, chapter 14, page 1068. Page 1068 in the Pew Bible. So here's Jesus talking to his disciples, his disciples, just to set the stage. And uh, the world's about to come apart. Jesus is less than 24 hours from his crucifixion. Things are about to get real bad. But Jesus isn't afraid because he's with them and the Spirit's with them. Look at verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Sometimes that's translated a comforter. To be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be, where? In you. The Holy Spirit will live in us as Christians. And talk to people about the Holy Spirit who don't believe in Jesus. You're like, well, I got the Holy Spirit in me. And people are like, what? Okay. You know, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. People, the world doesn't know that. You, you can't understand the Holy Spirit until you have the Holy Spirit. And once you get the Holy Spirit, you're like, ah, oh, I have the Holy Spirit. It's, it's just something you, you experience and you know. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you may not be a Christian. And you need to find the real thing. Really take refuge in Christ and really have that, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. God, he's gonna, just like in Psalm 46, he's going to come to us. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize, and this is where it just gets epic, I am in my Father. You are in me. I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. I, I don't even know how to start with those verses. They're so tender. They're so amazing that God would be dwelling not just with us but in us through the Holy Spirit and that we would be part of of a relationship with God that's that intimate. Not that we become God, but that we're connected to Him. That's our hope. And so just as God was with the city in Psalm 46, He's with His people. He's in us today. And of course, is it any surprise that as we read the very end of the Bible, where finally there's a new heavens and a new earth, finally when all sin has been destroyed and every evil has been put down that is described as a city of the new Jerusalem, and that it says of that city that God is in her, and there's no more death, and there's no more sorrow, and there's no more sadness and tears, because all things will be new. And so someday, this verses 4 to 6 will be our total reality. It will be the totality of creation will be this glorious city with no darkness at all. And that makes us glad. <laughs> that makes us kind of smile as Christians, even when we're in the midst of all kinds of tough, hard things. God is with us. So, first stanza, God is our refuge and strength, therefore don't fear. Second stanza, God is in our midst. There's a peace and a joy that we have as Christians. We should be glad. We have reasons for gladness. Christians should not be sour, cranky, grumpy, negative, cynical, naysayers, we should have a, a joy in us. 
You know, not that we can't be critical of things. I mean, we're realists too, but, but there should be kind of underneath it all a kind of like, but you know what? Whatever. God is in me, and, and my destiny is with him. And then in the, the third stanza, we, we have a shift. The third stanza really goes from a kind of defensive posture, if that makes any sense, to a, uh, an offensive posture. So the first two stanzas are all about the refuge of the city and, and people coming against the city and the city being safe. But in the last stanza, it's as if God goes out of the city on the offense against all of the enemies and all of the bad things. And, and then at the, he, he invites us up, as it were, kind of like onto the walls of the city. And he says, hey, look out. While you guys were all terrified and fearful and trusting in me, look what I did while you were sleeping. Check this out. Verse 8, come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. And then here at the very end, God speaks, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. God is not content just to be a little fortress where we hide, but, but he is a God who is going out into all the world and conquering. And our hope is that someday God will conquer all things so that his name will be exalted. So that when you look at the news, instead of it being ISIS did this and uh, you know, Iran is doing that, and Russia is doing this, and this is happening. You know, someone got shot here and killed there. Instead of that being the thing that's the headline news, there's coming a day where the headline news every day, forever and ever, will be God is exalted, and you won't get sick of it. You won't be like, "Isn't there any different news?" You'll be like, "Yes, the best news ever is still the news." That day is coming. God says it's coming, and so he says, come and see my works. Check out what I've done. Come stand on the deck with Noah and look out over a water-covered world that's been washed clean with the waters of judgment, all the wickedness and bloodshed washed clean in Noah's day. Come with Abraham and, and look down in the valley and see how God has cauterized the evil of Sodom and Gomorrah with his fire and brimstone. That, that, that gaping, festering, moral wound at that, in that day has been burned and cauterized clean. Or go stand with the Israelites and Moses as they stand on the eastern side of the Red Sea and they're looking out and the waters have covered Pharaoh and his armies. Or go with Isaiah and King Hezekiah as they went up on the battlements and saw the vast armies of the the Assyrian king Sennacherib, slain in the middle of the night by God's power. Or march out with King Jehoshaphat as he heard that the armies of Edom and Moab were coming and he went out and what, who did he put first in front of his army? The best troops? Nope. He put the praise team. The singers went first, proclaiming the glory of God and they finally marched over the hill to look at the Edomites and the Ammonites and they were dead. God had made the war to cease. Or go stand at the foot of the cross and see your sins defeated. See your sins defeated forever. Or go with Peter and, and Mary to the empty tomb and see how God crushed death. And how God 
put the devil down forever. He's victor. And then look in the future, if you can, to that day when Christ will return in power and great glory and every eye will see him and every tongue will confess Then every knee will bow and they'll say that Jesus is Lord. And the new heavens, the new earth will come. Make no mistake about it. Just as there is a literal ending of the world that's coming, there is a day when verse 10 will come true. And on that day, the proclamation It'll go out to the whole universe where God will say, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. It's unclear if the be still is addressed to God's people or to God's enemies. So is be still like, hey, God's people, stop freaking out. Relax. God's got this. Or is the be still more like, hey, you enemies, stop fighting, lay down your arms, it's hopeless. And I'm not sure. And maybe it's both. So to God's people this morning, I just just want to encourage you to hear God himself say to you from his word, be still. Whatever it is that has you stirred up, freaking out, fretting, popping awake at 4 a.m., emailing, surfing the internet for answers. Just be still and know that he is God. Go to him as your refuge. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian and you've been fighting and fleeing and resisting and rationalizing your whole life, though God's evidence has been right in front of your face and you've just been fighting against it your whole life, God says to you, be still and know that he is God. I know when I, when I first became a Christian, um, that was the big struggle in my own heart. Uh, I, was, I don't know how old I was exactly. I wish I could remember. Sometimes you're too young to realize when big things are happening, but I think it was like 11 or 12 or something. And I just remember every Sunday, my mom took us to this church and this preacher would just plead with us about Christ. And, and I'd be like, okay, whatever. Until... I started listening, and, and it sounded as the preacher was pleading that God himself was saying to me, like, Jeremy, I want you to follow me. And I, I mean, I was 12. It's not like I had lived, you know, a life of uh, wild crime or something. But, you know, a sinner is a sinner, no matter how small. And I was a sinful 12-year-old who, just like any other person, did not want to surrender my will to God because that's the nature of sin. I'm in control. It's my way. And I just remember, just week after week, sermon after sermon, it was like a battering ram against my soul. And finally, I just gave up and, and surrendered to the power of God and to the forgiveness that Christ offers. And that's when I came to know all these wonderful things myself, personally. I want you to be still and surrender to God. Has he just been working on you and you've been trying to rationalize it and push it off man surrender be still and be saved be still and know that he is God he will be exalted among the nations he'll be exalted in the earth let's pray oh Lord God we thank you that you are our God and that you are our refuge as much today as when that psalm was first penned, and you are, will be our refuge for all eternity. 
Lord, we take refuge in you today. I pray, Lord, for anyone who doesn't know you, that they would lay down arms, that they would accept your terms of free amnesty for anyone who would love the Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, I pray for those of us who are Christians, that you would help us to see more and more that you're our refuge, we'd have our confidence in you, not in other things. God, I pray especially just for anyone today who feels so overwhelmed, who feels like they're drowning in those waves, who feels like their world is falling apart. Oh, God, would you comfort them? Would you put your arms around them? Would they just run to the fortress and put their faith in you? And, Lord, we thank you that there's coming a day where the whole world will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. In Christ's name we pray, amen.